0: Pulp MX production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by Racer X, presented by btosports.com and Thor MX. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis.
1: Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX, our friends at Thor MX and BTO Sports. Thank you to those guys for making this podcast possible. Thank you for RacerX for hosting it. Uh, don't forget, you can get a discount code for, for BTOsports.com if you listen to uh, the commercial in the middle of this thing. So uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line is a, a guy that's uh, been on the list for me to do for a long time, but I didn't know how to get a hold of him didn't really think about how to get a hold of him until he got a hold of me and that would be former factory mechanic now uh tuned now turned engine tuner tom morgan what's going on tom
0: thank you Hey, steve yeah thanks for having me on i uh, really appreciate it yeah i'm uh well I've, since i've been with the cowie team i've done a lot of other things but the mm-hmm. main thing of course is is tom morgan racing um that was formed in 1994 mm-hmm. and uh um, you know just built a lot of engines two stroke and four stroke over the years and and have you know also um worked several times with Kawasaki mm-hmm. with their jet ski team and a road re- race team mm-hmm. and then uh uh worked with a few other companies too uh helping them develop and design products over the years oh yeah so you've been busy um
1: morganracingengines.com everybody check it out and uh i know When I first started out being a a privateer mechanic in uh, 1996, your motors were one of the best on the circuit for privateers. Everybody uh, wanted to get something. Whatever you were doing, Ryan Huffman was one of your guys. Uh, Heath Voss ran your stuff forever. Uh, Your motors worked, man. Whatever you were doing back in the late 90s uh, on a uh, two-stroke, man, they were fast.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's just I think it's all in the testing, you know. I was always mm-hmm. a perfectionist on, and and still am on all of that stuff. So you just gotta do a lot of testing and gotta gotta know how to run a dyno. Yeah, I know uh, Ryan Huffman was one of your
1: guys, and that's how we connected. You sent me an email when I when I wrote about Ryan Huffman uh, in one of my columns. And uh, Huffman back then, Ryan was not scared to jump things, and of course his motor and his bike helped him out tremendously, but. um man he, uh, cowies you could really make those things go good for ryan he was a great jumper and he represented tmr pretty good
0: yeah yeah he was uh actually my first rider that won a a, a privateer award um during the season too and then he followed up with a couple few years later but, yeah uh, yeah ryan was a awesome rider just a. Really enjoyed working with him and his mechanic, mm-hmm. Alan Trelecki. just had a yeah. really good time with those guys and really good feedback from them. So, you know, the riders make it easy, too, to build a faster bike when they give you good feedback.
1: True. Uh, how's business nowadays for you? Obviously, we're all on four strokes now. but um, So you had to learn a new game. And uh, how, how's that going and how's business? And uh, talk about that a little bit.
0: Um, business is good. Um, the four-stroke thing, uh, you know, actually, I had a head start on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I won't get into too long a story on it, but... Uh, no, feel free. Um, yeah, go when, when the four-strokes first came out, you know, when Yamaha came out with the 400 and then the 250, um, most people didn't feel they needed to be worked on, so I didn't do a lot of work on them right away. I just stayed with the two-stroke stuff. Um, but even before that my my beginnings of my career actually were with four strokes i did a lot of uh, back in the um mid to late 70s um into the early 80s when i started working at kawasaki r&d um i did a lot of four stroke like road race bikes drag race bikes things like that um actually did some you know club level road racing myself on a, a kz 1000 super bike and okay. um my first uh, um job at Kawasaki Motors Corp USA was actually working in uh, the R&D department. Um, and uh, at that time, there was only a couple of us American guys there and a bunch of Japanese engineers in the Irvine office. Um, and uh, the, the, my main responsibility was to work with all the street bike stuff, So and it was all four-stroke. So I mm-hmm. um, had a lot of four-stroke experience before the four-strokes became popular for motocross.
1: So, yeah, so when four strokes started becoming popular in motocross, you're like, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, these things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of held off, you know, until there was a reasonable market for it, you know, because as we all know, four strokes are expensive to build, and, mm-hmm. and it takes a lot of testing to get them right, because if you don't, they're, they turn into a big pile of broken junk real quick. <laughs> so I, I kind of held off, and you know i was was fortunate to have been working with Josh grant for i think about three years on two strokes before the um the c r f two fifty r came out mm-hmm. um in two thousand and four and um you know at that point um i still hadn't completely dove into the four stroke market at that point but um you know Honda gave us uh, some four strokes and some one twenty five two strokes and crates and um it was our decision what well, we wanted to race, and mm-hmm. I think after after about two days of uh, dynoing on the on the four stroke and tweaking a few things and grinding on a few things, we we pretty much just sent the two strokes back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the the four stroke was that that much more powerful. um kind of a dis unfair disadvantage actually against the 125 two stroke.
1: I know. Can you believe for a few years it was like uh, we weren't sure. You know, the some guys won on two strokes and we didn't know how big of an advantage four strokes were and and then slowly we're like, Wait a minute, oh yeah. These things are a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, exactly. It's uh it the class division I think was originally a little bit wrong because in the beginning four strokes didn't make as much power as they do these days, yeah. you know, but they're probably, you know, easily ten horsepower or more on a two fifty than they used to be four stroke wise. Yeah. But, um uh-huh. You know, it's a, the four-stroke just has such a broader power band. You just can't, it's hard to compare, you know, the two-stroke power to it. Um, right. It's just the four-stroke's just much easier to ride.
1: I, uh, I spent four years as a factory Yamaha mechanic, and uh, we actually, in o three Chad tested, Chad Reed, tested the two-stroke versus the four-stroke for the Outdoor Series and went with the two-stroke. And we're like, okay, all right, like, maybe it's better, you know. And then uh, by round five, he'd switch to a four-stroke. Yeah. <laughs> he
0: was, he was yeah. Over it. yeah, I think uh there was a video floating around uh, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, with uh um James Stewart where he took a you know, two stroke out and rode a two stroke two fifty and mm-hmm. and you know, after riding it a little you laughed. You came in and said, "Man, if some if I get if somebody on a two stroke beats me, I need to retire. If I'm on my four <laughs> fifty,
1: yeah, right." Uh, where's Where's business at? I know you used to be out of Lake Havasu or something, but
0: uh, am I right? Um, ha- Havasus, yeah. I was in Havasu for almost ten years, okay. but I left there in uh, 2002. Oh shit!
1: And okay. then put
0: shop put the shop in Southern California for a while to be closer to the tracks. Um in, in Arizona, I built and maintained my own Supercross track, my own outdoor track, and um, it just got to be too much of a burden. And in the summertime, nobody wanted to come out there and test right. because it was too hot anyway and dry. You couldn't keep the tracks watered, and it was too rocky. So yeah. uh, I ended up going to Glen Helen and all the tracks over there all the time anyway. So I, I did move my, my shop over there for for a few years, actually was was located out of the – back door of Chaparral for a couple of years when they, uh, quit having their, their team, their mm-hmm. motocross team. They had a big space, um, available. And I was lucky enough to know the Damrons and, and, uh, Todd Baldwin, who was, um, service manager or sales manager there at the time. So it kind of just slid into that empty space and leased that from them. So that, that worked out really well for a few years that I was there, um, these days, um, I am actually located in Iowa right now. Okay. Um, I had some contract work I was doing for an aftermarket company, some design and R&D work for them. So mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, just kind of moved everything to uh, the Des Moines, Iowa area. And, uh, you know, cost of living's cheap. It's kind of a yeah. good family atmosphere and everything. Um so that, that's where I am at the moment anyway. Not, not a lot of tracks here, though. That's, that is a drawback. So that, that's a consideration at this point.
1: Is that where the Babbitts, Kawasaki, Tyler Bowers thing kind of came from, being out there?
0: Uh, yeah, because yeah. their uh, their team manager actually lives just across the river, the, the Mississippi River, in Illinois from here. So okay. it's it's a couple hundred mile drive, but it, it's very close. So it's pretty convenient as far as upsing engines back and forth, and yeah. you know running running meeting up with those guys to do some testing and things like that. All right. Um. All
1: right. So people want to know Tom Morgan or Morgan dot com. Go there, and uh, Tom will do you up. Something good, no doubt. Um, All right, let's get in the time machine. Let's crawl. Let's go back. Let's go back a ways. Um, Okay. Kawasaki, your your first gig at Kawasaki. Where'd you grow up? How'd you become mechanically inclined? How'd you get the job at Kawasaki?
0: Um, Okay, I'll try again. Keep it as short as possible. No, go ahead. I am long winded, and I have a long lots of stories to tell. But uh, um, I grew up in Wisconsin. and I was fortunate enough, my dad was was mechanically inclined. He'd worked as a, a jet airplane mechanic in the Air Force when he was in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was into, you know, the, the hot rod cars and stuff. Um, so I, I was always kind of mechanically inclined, you know, following him around, you know, watching what he did. And we got into racing snowmobiles for, for quite a few years while I was, you know, growing up, going through high school and into college. And, um, you know, it it just kind of was in my blood, I guess, to work on things. I I was always taking something apart and trying to make it faster, understand how it worked. Um, And then uh, um, to get to Kawasaki, once I was in college and then decided I wanted to be closer to where the, the motorcycle mecca was in California. Right. Um, I transferred um, out to University of San Diego out there and uh, ended up being uh, working as service manager at one of the biggest shops in San Diego for a while, for a couple years, um, and also got involved in drag race and road race while I was out right. there, a lot of club racing. Um, and then after doing that for a while, in, in 1980, early 1980, I... Uh, um, had contacted Kawasaki Motors Corp USA to see if, what kind of positions they had. And then, uh-huh. lucky enough that uh, they needed someone to do um, street bike testing in this country. And uh, like I mentioned before, it's a very small department. You know, there's a couple of us right. Americans and, and the rest of Japanese engineers. So they needed, um, you know, somebody to do street bike testing. Um, it was kind of a jack-of-all-trades because it that- was kind of... Is that I like endurance,
1: endurance testing
0: or like motor-wise, like doing that kind of stuff? No, I was kind of, um, with the street bike stuff, and then later it branched into dirt bike bike for me too. But with the street bike stuff, I was kind of a jack-of-all-trades. So I worked as a test rider, an engineer, a, a machinist, oh, okay. a designer, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: everything. So it was kind of cool. I worked, got to work on a lot of the big street bike projects. Um, I did... Uh, um the, the old chain drive Kawasaki KZ 1000 police bikes I did major testing on those I actually designed all the gussets and things that were in the frames on those to keep them from wobbling the, the officers off the bikes at 100 <laughs> miles an hour um did a lot of tire testing suspension testing um worked on the the KZ 1300 6 cylinder fuel injected bike uh, both carbureted and fuel injected um still testing on the the old um Z1 classic 1000cc fuel injected that was the first fuel injected bike that they had mm-hmm. um the first bell try the KZ440 LTD that was one of my projects um um all the early GPZ stuff 750 1, 000, 550, that's all stuff that I worked with um, So
1: like um I'm I'm sensing like in Wisconsin you you race snowmobiles and in California now, you're on street bike patrol in uh, in in Kawasaki. So where's the dirt bike love come in? Did you race dirt bikes? Did you ride them, or was it were you always just <laughs> no? Sort of, that's
0: no? that, that's another interesting story. Okay. Um, yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, I rode in the dirt a little bit when right. I was in you know riding street bikes in Wisconsin growing up, um, but they were the big big stuff, you know, six fifty Triumphs and stuff on right. dirt roads and trails, which was a real handful. Um, <laughs> So when I got to Kawasaki, um, after I'd been there a while, um, the dirt bikes kind of were becoming a bigger thing for them, and they wanted to concentrate more on on developing a bike that would sell better in the American market. So they started concentrating more on testing um, the KX series in in this country. And at that time, there had only been really one guy and another halftime guy that was doing most of the
1: oh, okay. testing
0: um so i started helping out um i had not really ridden at all um they used me as like a, an amateur novice test rider right. on some of the, the enduro bikes the kdx's and stuff um but after it what... was a painful experience because i broke several collarbones and wrists and things <laughs> <laughs> they, they
1: loved it though they hey, put this put give this to the novice guy um the, the but the but the dirt bike end of things you had to look at it as as a as a mechanic, as a an engineer type of guy and laugh at him, right? The simplicity of it.
0: Well yeah, I, I don't want to make somebody think I laughed at the dirt bikes, but I'll no, be but, honest with you, the two the two stroke thing in the beginning was, yeah, this is cool. It's kinda like the lawnmower <laughs> But uh yeah. you know I just my my main thing was they, they hired me. They wanted me to work with the kids because I had kids. So all the KX-60 stuff, the KX-80, KX-100, all that stuff was mm-hmm. pretty much my responsibility at that time. Um, the original KX-60, I did most of the testing in the U.S. on that, um, worked with the kids and everything. And before there was a Team Green um, the R and D department was the team green. Oh yeah. Um, we used, we used to go to Ponca city. I, I went to the very first Loretta Lynn's race. Um, you know, we went to Ponca city, a lot of the, 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 the NMA stuff, yeah. you know, world mini, all that stuff. Um, that was before there was a team green. We, we actually were doing that for a couple of years.
1: Yeah. They were like, Hey, we got to get somebody to go to the amateur races. What are you guys doing?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah, you know, just coming from the street bike stuff, the dirt bikes to me, you'd be like laughing at them, like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, sure. You know, one one piston and carburetor, yeah, re reed, reed, reed yeah. catch,
0: no problem. Um, yeah, it was it was very interesting. I mean, coming from I had two stroke experience, so coming from the snowmobile right side of right, it, right, right. Um, you know, we used twins, triples, and four cylinders back then in the snowmobile stuff. So I, I had some two stroke experience, but um, I definitely. Learned a lot and did a lot of testing, you know, in, in that position with the two strokes. Um, um, what kind of snowmobile racing? Was it, like, endurance stuff or, like, what? Um, my favorite races were the cross-country cross races. Country. Okay. Um, I was Central Wisconsin cross-country champion in, uh, what was it, 1980, I think. Oh, okay. No, not 1980, 1970, sorry, 1973. Um, but, uh, um the, the, um, most of the races kind of developed into being circle track races. They'd run us on the, uh, the, you know, the stock car tracks right. in yeah. the winter time. The ovals, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the cross country stuff is what I really liked. Um, but it got, the land started getting closed, you know, as mm-hmm. usual from, you know, people riding snowmobiles where they shouldn't have been riding them without permission. So, so gradually land started getting closed. And, right. Um, had to gravitate more towards the oval tracks.
1: So at some point, uh, either Kawasaki doesn't need you anymore in the R&D department or they they feel like you you know could help out on the dirt bike racing side of things. How does that switch come to where you're now
0: a factory mechanic? Um, well, what happened there was I kind of, I, I was always very interested in racing. Um, Kawasaki is very, Small company back then, close knit group. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew that everybody in the racing department, um, and decided I'd probably, you know, I'd like to try into that to do that for a while. So, um, funny thing was though, I tried I wanted to get on the road race team, but oh. one of the motocross mechanics decided he wanted to go fill the opening that was on the road race team. So they said, "Sorry, Tom." So and so took the position that you were thinking about, right? And I went, "Well." I'll take his position if it's open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I ended up on the motocross team. Um and I started doing that the end of 1982, very end of 1982, so Um mm-hmm. and your rider um, was, was uh Billy Lyle's? My first rider was Billy Lyle's, yeah. Worked with him for uh 2 years and uh um He's I always felt like cool, real cool guy, real yeah. hard on equipment, though the real cool guy.
1: I always felt like Billy was a little underrated. You guys won a national, I think, in '84. Um, yeah, Lake Whitney. Lake Whitney won a national. Uh, he was a top five guy outdoors, a little worse indoors, but
0: um, kind of underrated a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He just had, he had a lot of I don't know if it, you'd call it bad luck. It just yeah, it seemed like you know he'd he'd have a good day and a bad day, and never really got credit for the good days because. You know, you'd have a bad day, but very good rider, very skilled, very Mm -hmm. fun to work with. I mean, I think, I mean, he he, probably because of him, I how. that's why I'm pretty good on two strokes because he was so willing to test anything. I mean, we'd test from sunrise to midnight if we could every single day. Yeah. He was just willing to try anything and everything. And he was good, good with feedback and. Um, that's, that's where we tried a lot of things, and I really learned what makes two-strokes work.
1: The, the The rumor was, or, or what I've heard now, um, you know, years later, is that him and Roy Turner clashed pretty good.
0: Is that uh, is that true? Or well, uh, I suppose some, but you know, it, it's racing. Everybody has, you know, everybody gets hyped up for racing. So I, I think maybe uh, clashing at the races and things isn't isn't that big of a deal. Isn't that big right, a deal, right. yeah. Um yeah. Billy Billy's a great guy though, and Roy actually is an awesome guy too. I mean, just we're probably one of the best people I ever worked with. Yeah, I
1: did one of these with him maybe a year ago. Very interesting guy. Yeah, really cool yeah. to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um uh works cowies too. So these things were pretty trick. At least eighty four bikes were pretty good. They looked trick. Yeah. I
0: don't know if they were any good. Yeah. But Well <laughs> uh, I'm lucky I lived through that whole area of works bikes because it, it honestly was around the clock work um back then <laughs> right. i mean we had to build our own bikes you know we had box vans so basically they'd give us a couple of crates full of frames and engines and cranks and gears and clutch baskets they didn't have didn't even have drive gears riveted to them Jeez. and keys to the truck and and they introduce you to your rider and say okay see you in september hopefully you bring back a title <laughs> <laughs> yeah the bikes were were they were tricked, but they were definitely a handful. Um, you know, you just, yeah. you'd have to have a spare engine built at all times because you never knew when the cases would break in half, which was usually about every week. Really? They were that bad, huh? Yeah, they're, I I'm, mean, I'm they're, It was all experimental. So, you know, everything was, you know, sand castings and things like that, and and Mm -hmm. the the frames were all hand-welded, and sometimes they hadn't been tested very much before we got them. So it was kind of a work in progress the whole season.
1: Jeez. Uh, And along the way, you you started working with Rick Ash, who is still there today building the motors.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Rick's. Yeah. Very good friend of mine. Rick is just you... one of the most cool guys I've oh, ever known. He's... Um yeah, Rick was actually in the with the race team before I was. Oh, he was. I mean he was okay. with Goat, Goat Brecker, um you know I thought he before, started in eighty four before Goat okay. was even a factory rider.
1: I thought he started in eighty four, but no, before you.
0: No, Rick yeah. Rick was on the team and no, he he was Goat Brecker's mechanic and Goat was a factory rider and what Nineteen eighty-three, I think. Eighty-two, eighty-three. Yeah, eighty-two. He was there before me, so been okay. probably eighty-one, eighty-two. Yeah. Yeah, one of the coolest
1: guys in the pit still to this day. Very friendly yeah. and yeah. you know, I try awesome to... sense of humor.
0: Yeah, you, you'll never find him in a bad mood. No, you won't. <laughs> will you? You're right. You don't. No, you know? never. Um, no, it's great. Great to work around him because he's never in a bad mood. He always picks you up.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, probably the opposite of Keith McCarty, who I found was in a bad mood a lot. At least maybe it was just when I worked there. <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, Keith has a dry sense of humor. Um, uh, So,
1: 82, uh, you started Cowie, 83, 84, 85 with Lyles? Or was Lyles gone by 85? Uh, No, 83, 84,
0: 85, yeah, Yeah. with Lyles three years.
1: Right, with Billy Lyles the three years. Um, And, of course, uh, you know, the infamous, the famous Jeff Ward there the whole time, which is going to be your guy later on. But um, what was Wardy like in those early years? He won the title in 84, which was Cowie's. First pro title in a long time, and he won some supercrosses yeah. too. Started starting winning, yeah. winning some supercrosses. Did uh, did even back then? Where you did you see greatness in them?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Wardy is probably one of the most. gosh, should I put it? Organized and dedicated riders, no yeah. matter what sport he's doing. I don't care if it's motocross, supermoto, mm. IndyCar, truck racing. You know, he just he he lives his life i mean I, I was always amazed when i was his mechanic because when the second motor was over on sunday evening sunday afternoon he already had his plan on what how he was going to start preparing for the next week you know, always he,
1: he he told us a story that he once rode 93 straight days he would ride before the flight before he had to catch a flight out
0: well, I'm sure he did, yeah. I, I, we're just <laughs> I like, have no doubt about that. We're,
1: we're, I'm like, come on, Lordy. No, you didn't. He goes, every day. Every day. He's like, yeah. the streak broke because uh, I don't remember. I, I could not, you know, whatever. However it worked out, the streak broke on him. But, uh, yeah, something like 93 straight days he wrote every single yeah. day.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it. You know, he was that dedicated. You know, he, right. he just – he he anything he does, no matter what it is, even I think to this day, you know, mm-hmm. he's always – You know, he he gets organized and he does it right. Wow. It's that time again.
1: Thanks for listening to the Racer X podcast show brought to you by btosports.com, presented by Thor MX. I appreciate it. Don't forget to click on the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com to help out pulpmx.com. We appreciate it. Listen to these commercials. Buy from these sponsors. Thank you for listening.
0: The X Podcast Show is brought to you by BTOsports.com. Whether you are looking for new gear, helmets, boots, or you need
1: to rebuild your bike from the ground up, BTO is your source for all of your motocross needs. As a proud sponsor of the BTO Sports KTM race team and the heart of the BTO Sports amateur motocross team, it is obvious that we are about more than being just a store. We support the sport that supports us. us. We at BTO Sports want to give back to you, the listener, for supporting us and the Racer X Podcast Show. Use coupon code. Code PULPMX when placing your order at btosports.com for a VIP listener discount. Certain
0: brand restrictions will
1: apply. 2013, JT Racing enters its next generation with the all-new Evolve Light, ProTech, Enduro, and limited edition
0: collections, taking quality and innovation to a whole new level. Also available in use sizes, each collection is built with high-grade materials, offering its own unique characteristics to meet the demands of today's riders, both recreationally and competitively.
1: To find a dealer or view the entire collection online, log on to
0: JTRacingUSA.com championship proven many motocross apparel brands make that claim but only thor can back it up as america's first motocross apparel brand thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance race wear on the market for the past 45 years with champions like ryan villopoto blake baggett and dean wilson to name a few our products truly are championship proven to see all the new 2013 products, visit ThorMX.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official race wear of Supercross.
1: 86. Well, I guess, were you sad to see 85? I just talked to Jeff for a story on PulpMX.com. Jeff told me his 85 KX250, the factory bike, was his favorite bike ever. Um, do, you, do you remember it being really good? Um, well, that would have been the first year we had the production rule. No, 86 84. was. 86 was. Yeah. Okay. So 85 was so the I last think, year of the works bikes.
0: Yeah. We still were pretty, pretty <laughs> close to production, I think at that point. Mm-hmm. So I know the bikes, the bikes were really good in that time. Um, I was still mainly with Billy on the 500s, although he rode 250 and supercross. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but but just, the bikes were really good, which led into what we had, you know, the following years.
1: Yeah, yeah. they put Billy in the 500 Nationals for 85, which probably he got smoked, which was weird. He And and I, I just looked at this race the other day for a Racer X column. 85 Washugo Glover was hurt, Bailey got moved down to 250s. I don't know how you guys didn't win 85 Washugo I have no idea. Yeah, I don't. Actually, I don't even remember that
0: race, really. <laughs> I don't
1: remember what. What happened? I don't know either, but uh uh Billy Loz was the only factory guy in it and uh, Eric Eaton won, a privateer guy. So um, yeah. <laughs> um uh so did you ever like as a as a Cowie guy, and I and I know Oliver, Bob Oliver told me this same story and, and Rick Ash has told me this too. You used to look over at the Honda guys and just, just drool. Just be like, Oh, look at those things. Look at those bikes.
0: <laughs> well, I always thought we had good bikes. I think the only envy I had really towards the Honda guys was just the fact that they seemed to have and maybe it wasn't true they they might not have been true, but they just seemed to have more support as far as mm-hmm. the par the parts they needed and things like that yep um and and they also had a larger staff too um so I think they had more help. And again, this is kind of just from my memory right, and right. outside view. But it, I think they had more help, more staff on the team. So, um, you know, back at the in Cow, at Cowie, I mean, we were rebuilding our own suspension between races during the week in the beginning. Was really? And, huh. Wow. You know, it, there, yep. there there was no nobody to help you. You did all, your whole bike, and that was it. You know, and you look at the other team and go, well, it looks like you know they got a suspension guy helping them. They, they, you know, and this mm-hmm. and that. So that was my envy toward them. I always knew we had good bikes, although we did struggle probably in the very early years when I was first on the team. But, right. you know, once you get into that, you know, 85 and on
1: range, we had pretty good bikes. Yeah, they were always pretty good. Did you like the driving? Did you did you mind that
0: at all? Um, never was a big fan of the driving. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, That's kind of how the first, you know, Cowie's first big truck came around. Um, you know, I... I had started kind of complaining about the driving for a couple of years because, you know, I just thought, you know, it was just too much to do all that driving plus get your bike ready. You know, be at the next Supercross Thursday morning for press day and having had, you know, had to drive a thousand miles plus prep your bike. Um, So luckily Roy Turner was a good Mm-hmm. A proponent of that big truck thing because without it, I probably wouldn't have been with the team as long as I was because yeah. the driving was too much.
1: Yeah, Roy said. Roy said in one of these podcasts, it was a little more expensive than putting you know three or four box fans on the road, but the signage and the safety and the you know the the coolness, the 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 organization yes. factor was was much, much better.
0: Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And and yeah, just that makes another thing pop into my head, too. The box stands themselves were, you know, we gravitated to one particular brand mm-hmm. of truck chassis and one particular brand of, of, of truck, you know, box body for them, which were the, the, the most trouble-free trouble, trouble free of, of yeah. all the, the brands that had been on the road and that they tried. But they still weren't trouble-free, right, you know.
1: Right.
0: I, I had to drive from... Uh, phoenix supercross to southwick national with no third gear in my automatic transmission <laughs> one year um didn't have time to stop and get it fixed so just drove her that way and fortunately the engine didn't let go yeah i made it um yeah grumman and,
1: grumman boxes were the, were the hot ticket back then right yeah
0: yeah the grumman boxes and the ford chassis the, right. the e350 chassis that was that was the way to go those things were pretty much bulletproof yeah i i Hopefully no police officers ever hear me say this, but my van spent that with that four sixty engine spent sometimes many, many miles with the foot on the floor. <laughs> never never lifting off unless yeah. the radar detector went off.
1: Right, right. Yeah. You guys were gnarly back then. And you look at the schedules too. No regard for no regard for like making it easy. Like they did they did not care. The promoters were all no. all fighting no. each other or whatever. Yeah. Like there was Yeah. They they didn't care. You'd go uh, Florida to uh, to New York and to Texas, you know. Just yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was it was brutal, it really. Was I don't know how there weren't more accidents. Right. You know, I, I the last couple of years, especially the last year that that I, before we got the big truck, I I fall fell asleep and drove off the road a couple times and just right. was lucky there was no nothing to hit. Yeah. I woke up right away.
1: I I uh, I drove the circuit for. I think I drove for seven years. So in the box vans or a couple of years I had a, a straight truck or whatever. But, yeah, it was it was insane. Yeah, and, You know, mini-thins and showering at truck stops and, you know, yeah. three in the morning uh, <laughs> trying to play eye games to stay awake. You know, that's yeah, amazing yeah. there weren't more accidents. You're oh, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Driving oh. down the
0: road, sha- shaving while you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> Brushing your teeth while you're driving. Yeah. Yes, it's crazy. You used to laugh because we'd get it. Well, we We'd get out of the truck. I used to drive with uh, Mike McAndrews a lot. Yep. Um, we had the box stands. He was Ron Machine's He was Jeff Ward's mechanic before me, and then he was Ron Machine's mechanic later. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, we used to laugh at each other because we'd stop at a gas station. We'd both walk, get out of the truck to fill up with gas, and we'd look at each other, and it'd be, oh, my gosh, you look terrible. Your <laughs> hair's a mess, and you haven't shaved in two days, and there's all kinds of McDonald's coffee cups rolling yeah. out from your door. Um. <laughs> um
1: so 86, so works bikes go away in 85, and 86 you, uh, you work on a production bike. New rider, too, Eddie Warren, um, who, yeah. who had a good season. One of the top team green kids, a, a fast amateur, and uh, you guys had a good year. I think you won two nationals at the end of the year. Yeah. That was a combined uh, – now um, the classes were changed where it was 12 rounds of 125s and six of 250s and six of 500s. And so it was a lot deeper field than you were when you were with Lyles, and to win two nationals as a rookie, and I think he you know did pretty well in supercross, it was a good year
0: yeah yeah he he did really well that year, yeah and then and being on the one twenty fives was you know I'd been on the you know two fifty five hundred for a while being on the one twenty fives was a fun experience for me, I really liked it, mm-hmm. you know, trying to keep that little thing making some power right um back then too, probably though again, I watched
1: some nationals from back then, looks like Mickey Diamond on the uh Honda had you guys covered for horsepower
0: though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there was the CR125 back then was pretty much unbeatable.
1: I have a, a high point awesome. high point 86 national. It's not Eddie Warren, but it's I think it's Bowen and maybe Ricky Ryan on a Cali. And Mickey yeah. Diamond goes around the outside of them, pulls 6-7 bike lengths down the straightaway and then, you know, tucks into the next corner. It was unbelievable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Honda guys had that 125 working good. Uh, really good Uh, how
1: was eddie as a person you know he uh he disappeared after 87 like basically a factory rider for two years and then didn't even lost his ride didn't become a privateer didn't try to make it go went to australia i've been trying to get a hold of him to do one of these with him Uh, there's some fans of of this show that know him or know friends of him he's got no interest in doing this or doing an interview or anything he's just disappeared so how was he to work with
0: uh he I was blessed to have really good riders, all of them I mm-hmm. can't complain and and Eddie was another one you know he was just a great guy um he was really athletic and i was into into uh road road bicycling a lot yep. so we did a lot of that together um and and he he was another one good good test rider you know I was up to try something new and mm-hmm. and uh, give you good feedback on it um just to really really cool guy yeah and and yeah i haven't heard from him for a while either you know i heard i think i talked to him know, oh, it's been many years now but yeah. he was in australia and i talked to him once i think and right. I haven't heard from him yeah. since
1: yeah it's very weirdy and then i i felt like it was weird that um he didn't uh he ever, ever try to make it with another team or never got picked up or never did a privateer route you know what i mean just 87 yeah. gone you know so yeah Um, Now, I worked at Yamaha um, with Tom Halverson, who was the road race team manager when I was there. Probably still is there now. Um, He was Wardy's mechanic in 86. and And uh, he had the broken throttle cable at the Anaheim opener, which once in a while I would remind him of. Uh, And he he said, (laughs) you know, he basically said it was a factory cable that they recalled, and he didn't switch it. And, of course, the defending Supercross champion does not qualify for the opening round. And he said ever since then, Wardy... And him didn't see eye-to-eye. Eye. He got off on a wrong foot and never was able to get back on the right foot with Wardy. So is that sort of your opening? Because Halverson in 85... Or Halverson in 86 didn't work out. So is that your opening for 87 to move to, to Jeff
0: Ward? Um, no, I I never really thought of it as that way. I don't okay. know, maybe, maybe that was something that was talked yeah. about. But I, I never was aware of it anyway. Um, no, I think there was... Uh, let's see in at the end of 86 um kawasaki made the move to put a lot of the all of the mechanics on outside services contracts oh, okay yep um so basically we we were you know self-employed and then just just you know sub subbed our services to the company for right. a set salary so there was a lot of changes probably more than what i'm aware of um that happened there and i'm I'm really not sure ultimately why I ended up being with Wardy. Yeah, um, they came to you, you know, and, and he didn't. I don't know, but um, they, that's they, that's how they switched things around anyway. At that point,
1: so they came to you though and said, "Hey, do you want to work for Jeff Ward?" Or did Wardy come to you, or how did that happen when you first heard
0: uh, about? I don't remember the exact details. I think it was more of a, "Yeah, this is what this is how we're reorganizing. Do you want to do it, Tom?" Okay, <laughs> right, right. It, 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 <laughs> That's how it was, yeah. Okay. And of course, I wanted to do it because I, you know, I thought Gordy was, you know, the best yeah. rider on the team, obviously. So I was anxious to work with him.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. I'm sure you were. Um, and we went out, and won the first Anaheim too. Yeah, right. That is the one where RJ uh, kos himself, right? Uh, I believe. Yeah. yeah, I believe that's that's the same round, and he he, he had a good uh, he had a good year that year. Um, bikes, the bikes were were better too. Like I talked to. I talked to Ronnie every couple of weeks, um, Ron Lachine, and then Wardy. I've talked to plenty of times. Eighty six bikes I didn't like so much. Eighty seven, much better though. They were happy with those. They were narrow, real narrow, yeah. and good bikes.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was a good bike. The eighty seven was really good. Um, um, they they were pretty good. I mean, we had a little bit of issue. I think with the kind of in the eighty nine to ninety range, but actually the ninety was a really good bike too. Right. Um, the hey. bikes had a couple on and off years in there. Ninety one wasn't awesome, but you know ninety two was pretty good. Ninety three mm-hmm. was pretty good.
1: The uh, yeah, the ninety was the all perimeter frame space looking. You know, big change, huge change. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know who's still coming to the races for Kawasaki, and I don't know if you know him, but Yoko, Yoko. The uh, he designed bikes back back then in the early nineties, mid eighties. was And now he's the. Mm-hmm. Sort of the big boss at Kawasaki. Comes a lot of the races. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, somebody told me that too, yeah. Right. I, I heard um, it was fair. Um, uh, so, Wardy, yeah, you come out for – what are you making? Do you mind telling, telling us what, what are you making a year as a factory mechanic back then?
0: Is it, uh, is it good loving? Is it, is uh, well, it, I think it it varies greatly from team to team. And, did it? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it could be anywhere from 40K on up to – close to 100, I think, depending yep. on, you know, how you were paid and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, just, just everything. Right.
1: Um, so um, 85, Wardy wins everything. 86, Johnson wins everything. Wardy kind of has a bad year, but 87, uh, you guys win the Supercross title, which yeah. is, yeah, but that's, that's awesome. Talk about that. That, that was awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. It All was right. just like <laughs> a dream come true. Right. This is, yeah, I, I, I won uh, in my career as a mechanic for 11 years. I won one national, and uh, and then I won a race in the Coliseum over McGrath when I was working for Tim Ferry. And yeah. trust me, Tom, all of my listeners and all the readers they get reminded of this uh, daily. If I had managed to win a Supercross title like you, I would have I would have hired a blimp to fly the banner around <laughs> because I mean that's yeah. I mean that's just it. That's it. That's what you work for right there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been lucky to have a, a few of those titles, the yeah. 500s and the 250 Outdoor, the Supercross, and right. been on the Motocross the Nations
1: teams. And... Right, yeah. I went to the Motocross the Nations once. Uh, we lost. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you Wardy went seven times and never lost. It was 7-0 yeah. at the Motocross the Nations. Um, uh, so, obviously, you have Ward, hardworking guy. Uh, basically, it's Ward and Johnson, right? How... How, yeah. how bad was the rivalry between Wardy and RJ? Like, was, did they talk at all, or was it just mortal enemies?
0: Mm, I don't think. You know, I, I can't say that I'm aware of them talking, but maybe I'm just getting older and senile now. <laughs> um, you know, I think it was a
1: pretty strong rivalry for sure. Um, did you and Lunas get along, or no? Because that was RJ's no,
0: mechanic. No, we always got along. Yeah, okay. we, we always got along. Yeah, mechanic-wise, you guys were cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know. My, my attitude is what happens on the track happens on the track. We're all there to do a job We're mm-hmm. we're playing on the same playground every weekend. So right. we might as well get along. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right. Um, and then you, did you guys use the convoy to other races, all the, all the mechanics, like different teams and everything? It wouldn't matter. Um,
0: not all the time. No. Um, generally, you know, it, with the the way the schedule was, it was so tight mm-hmm. um, and and so stressful. I think there there wasn't a lot of convoying. I mean, there was at times, but yeah, but yeah. generally, you know, one guy's more tired than the other. One guy needs to stop calling to the office on Monday morning and order a whole bunch of parts. It takes two hours on the phone, right. um, and the other guys don't want to wait. You know, so it yeah, ended yeah. up kind of be in more small groups you know like i said i traveled a lot with mike mcandrews who was right. ron Lachine's mechanic for a while and has been jeff Ford's mechanic um uh jim felt um who was johnny o'mara's mechanic yep. i traveled with him quite often mm, okay. um sometimes you know when rick ash was on the road would travel with him um right. you know there's a few others that Probably have slipped my mind, too. But Ron Heben, you know, oh, Heben, Yamaha yeah, yeah. mechanic. Yeah, I used to travel with him every once in a while. He's got some great Mickey
1: Diamond stories about how Jim Morrison would be on the back of the bike with Mickey um, yeah. back, back then and how he had to make his suspension stiffer for Jim Morrison, who was riding with Mickey at all times. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, good stories from back then. No, I know. Um, uh, so, okay, so Ron Lachine's on your team. Thankfully, McAndrews has him, and not you. You have the solid, hardworking, steady as a rock Jeff Ford. Uh But Lachine was another story. Uh, what? How bad was he at times? I mean, would, you know, he's told me himself stuff where he just wouldn't show up, and you know, you never knew what he was doing. Everybody kind of knew he had a problem off the track with partying, but he was such a nice kid, and everybody
0: liked him. So, yeah, what was it like? And with, he was with, a good, good rider too. Right. You know? Right. It's, it's, what was it like he, with Ron Machine? He, he could sleep until the two minutes sign before the moto and get on it and hole shot and lead half the moto. <laughs> what,
1: do you, is there one? Is there one story that sticks out that's like that? Is there one Ron Machine story um, that you can
0: you can remember? Well, what, one that I still still makes me laugh to this day, and and it it was typical Ronnie. I mean, it he's he's fun loving guy, and, right. and and I'm not saying I'm not telling this story in any way. Slide him at all because i think it's funny and it's pretty cool and it's part of the whole experience but we uh, um we went out testing one time before one of the supercrosses I, I don't remember if it was an la supercross or what it was but what? we went down to uh uh the san diego area i forget which what the name of the area was we tested at but um they wanted warty or they wanted ronnie to ride Wardy's bike uh-huh, um uh-huh. To see how it was. So so it was one of those things, the bike, okay, the bike's prepped for the race, Ronnie. um, So, you know, try not to crash it. Right, right. So so anyway, Ronnie gets on Wardy's race bike, and he takes off around the track. And I don't even know if he made a lap, and all of a sudden he's gone. Where's Ronnie? (laughs) We don't see him landing place. Where'd he go? Then all of a sudden, way, way over, like a half mile over, we can see him cliff jumping with it. <laughs> jumping these cliffs where I'm like oh my god he's on the race bike yeah, yeah. and you know it's typical Ronnie he comes back yeah it's pretty cool i like it, <laughs> it but you know that's just typical ronnie but you know great great guy you know i see him at the indie show usually every yeah. year if he's there and do you did,
1: uh yeah typical ron i don't know how it works on the track but on the cliff jumps it's awesome right yeah um <laughs> yeah did you kind of exactly uh, and i and again t- doing talking to to roy uh, do Roy's he's like, he's like my kid. I I had to have these interventions with him. I had to, I sat him down. I pleaded with him. I begged him. I got angry with him. Uh, I tried everything, but you know, he just didn't listen. Did you guys as mechanics know what was going on? I mean, did you kind of understand that this guy has got some problems off the track?
0: Yeah. 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 We knew.
1: Yeah. So it was like, what are we going to do? Right? Like, but then he'll, he'd, he'd always win two or three races a year, yeah. you know? Yeah.
0: So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, he's just an awesome rider. So much natural talent right. that you know, just unbelievable. One of the one of the best, you know, natural talent riders ever that's ever been.
1: Yeah, Wardy said one time that you know, I think Washugel Ronnie was up all night, and in practice he was like, "Ah, that's it. We're done. Like, is he's just going to win today?" And he did, you know, or won a moto or whatever. Like yeah. Wardy, Wardy realized that he, you know, no matter how, it was just one of Ronnie's days that he was on. Yeah. So, um. So you work for Ward. You keep working. You win the '87 uh, Supercross title. You win the '88 250 outdoors, I believe. I'm just going on top of my head. Um, yeah. Uh, Johnson DNFs. I remember uh, you guys won the '88 outdoors. It was just Johnson Lachine, or I mean J- Johnson Ward, Ward Johnson. Like it just yeah seemed like you could. You, I mean, was there a battle between those two that stood out as as the best one you've seen, or one that was the most intense, or um, can mm. you remember one that like? It seemed like
0: if one guy wasn't winning, it was the other guy. Yeah, I don't know that there's any that sticks out in my head, Steve. I mean, it was kind of kind of frustrating at the Nationals, actually, because it seemed like Wardy would go out like gangbusters and win the first moto, mm-hmm. and then, then Ricky would go out and just find some unbelievable speed for two laps and win the second moto, you know? And then second moto, you know, winner gets the overall. Right, right. You know, so it was like every week, you know, Ricky's getting the overall, you know, they're swapping they're still tying on points, but yeah. you know, the overalls are all going to Honda. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I remember a couple of supercrosses. I, I don't even remember where it was. Was it, I think it was Phoenix. I remember we were one of the years we were kind of in, it was not 87, maybe it was 88. Uh-huh. Um, we were kind of, we were in the point points. 40 and I were in the points for the supercross title at that point. But I remember, um, there was some section where they were double, double in, or maybe double single in, and, and, you know, Wardy and Ricky were going at it with a few laps left to go in the main, and all of a sudden Ricky just hits this thing like his throttle stuck and triples past Wardy oh, yeah, yeah. in this section where nobody had ever tripled before, and, and, you know, everybody's jaw just hit the ground like, what the heck? Right, right. You know, <laughs> yeah. But there, there was just always a good race between those guys.
1: Uh, eighty nine five hundreds. Uh, that that's the title that Wardy wins to be the first guy, uh, and only guy, I think, to this day to win all every championship because
0: there is no more five hundreds. Yeah,
1: 500s. that's right. So yeah. that's a pretty good year. Yeah,
0: it was uh, an awesome year for us. The, the five hundred was a hair puller trying to keep that thing together. But well, I was gonna
1: I was uh, gonna ask you the bike hadn't changed much, but um, when you talked to Stanton, he's like, yeah, our bikes are always trick and they were hard to ride and difficult to ride and the Cowies were just the same bike that those guys had down and it was a great solid steady bike and our bike was maybe cooler but harder to ride that's what Stanton always yeah. said do you agree with that yeah well
0: i i can fall back somewhat i can see watching those guys um ride them like Stan versus Wardy or mm-hmm.
1: um
0: you could see that the Cowies just plain put the power to the ground better, coming through the turns and things, coming out of the turns. Mm-hmm. Um, Wardy just always carried, especially in the high-speed turns, it seemed like he could just get the power down and be gone, where the Honda guys were constantly fighting it, trying to hook it up, you know, keep the front end down. Um, it just seemed like ours worked better. But, you know, we those those bikes were I mean, there, there was a lot of work to be done on those 500. They're actually a really good bike. If you right. told me I had to race an open-class bike today, I'd pick that over a four-stroke myself. Oh, but, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, they, they work really good when the right things are done to them. But, um, you know, it's kind of the bike is kind of a low-horsepower bike to begin with, so to get competitive power it was kind of stretching it out a little bit until you right. made a lot of changes on it.
1: Hey, this whole time, your are Warren's mechanic and Eddie Warren. Are you doing motor mods? Are you doing some uh, stuff, or like who's do, for, who, who does? I mean, them? for for them? Yeah, like
0: for the for the riders. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no. I always did all my own engine work. Always, really. So like, I mean, we we were given a basic platform from from Japan, but yep. generally we didn't stick with it. You know, we we refined everything mm-hmm. that we could to make it work better for our riders.
1: That's crazy because it's one of the things that's crazy about back then. Because um, talking to Dan Bentley, I did one of these with him. And in 1990, you know, the Bale and Kurdowski was going at it in 125 class, and Dan says, "Well, Cliff was going in and Cliff White, and he was, he was doing work to J and B's bike, and basically Shane Nally, Kudrowski's guy, was given, you know, the off-the-shelf porting job from Japan, and Cliff mm-hmm. would go in and do his own work, and it was a much better bike, and only because Shane didn't quite have the knowledge that Cliff had was it's crazy yeah. two teammates would have you know, uh, different settings
0: and stuff like that back then. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, we we pretty much, I mean, the, the Japanese supplied us just with the platform, and we yeah. we did everything else. You know, back then, like a mechanic was their own team, so, you know, it was up to us to figure out what our rider needed. Um, and only when we got to the, have the big trucks did it get a little more standardized. Um, so was –
1: McAndrews, for example, did he not know anything that you were doing to Wardie's bike? Uh, or did you guys share stuff
0: like that? Uh, no, we we shared info. Oh, okay. Yeah, we shared yep. info. All those all the riders had their own preferences, so they didn't always run the same stuff, but we did share info. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's crazy. So they let you do that. They let you have a free reign of it. That's
0: cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was pretty much free reign. The only time they'd ever stepped in, and I don't even remember that they ever – Really did, but as if if you got some, if you were having like, you know, reliability right. problems or something. Right, right.
1: Yeah, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> um,
0: yeah, then what are you doing to it? Yeah, or if the rider started complaining a lot that there was something wrong with the bike, then they'd have them try one of the other bikes or something, see if it actually worked better.
1: Yeah. uh So the 500s, you would do, you would try to give it, uh you would, you said it was low power, so the goal was to make it hit a little harder,
0: and but leave its uh, rideability? Well, with, with, with any big engine, even to this day, whether it's two four two stroke or four stroke mm-hmm. um the key is part throttle torque, not full throttle torque mm-hmm. and horsepower um part throttle torque gives you good roll on good throttle response, and good tractability, so you can choose any one of two or three gears, you know depending on you know what what the next section's going to require, you know whether you want to be at high horsepower when you get to it or whether you want to be lugging the engine down to control it so um You know, that was the thing with the 500s is just making them be really tractable without sacrificing too much peak horsepower. I mean, 65 horsepower is about what we had on those, and that's, I mean, I don't think the 450s even have that today. Is that at the wheel or at the crank? That's at the wheel. 65? Yeah. They were that fast? I didn't know that. Corrected horsepower, yeah, yeah. They're they're. They're more powerful than the current 450s that are on the track. I mean, I know that 450 can be built with that much yeah, power because I've yeah, done it, but right. most people aren't running one that has that much power because they're too much of a handful.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I mean, I I, I ran the dyno. Of course, every dyno is different, but um, um, Yamaha, yeah, we, I thought those 500s put out about 55 to 60. I didn't know they were that much. So. No,
0: they, they were they were that high. Yeah, they yeah. were. Some um, good horsepower. I mean, we built. Uh, you know, they the used to have that ABC Superbikers race. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I built those. I built the one that Ken Howardson used to to win the the Superbikers race back in whatever year it was eighty. Yeah. Eighty three. Yeah. Eighty four. Yeah. yeah eighty four. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and those. I mean, that bike's capable of going one hundred and twenty miles an hour. Wow. it's up some horsepower. Um, that's crazy. Um.
1: So do you work with Wardy all the way till he retires? Yes. Yeah, I was with him until his last, last factory motocross race. A little bittersweet for you to see him go? I mean, obviously he wasn't winning at that point, but he was still very competitive, still still a great racer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Know, and he, and he kind of knew yeah. he was going to hang it up because he did like a retirement year where he, yeah. had, where he had all the numbers yeah. on his helmet mm-hmm. and stuff, right?
0: Yeah, um, the farewell farewell tour, as I think I heard it called.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he did, and he, and he even won a national. I think on his last year, one of five hundred, didn't he? Yeah,
0: so, yeah.
1: Um, that's that's kind of cool to do. To if you're a racer to go out, you know, winning where you're still can able to win a race.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, what do you do after that? What do you do after Jeff Ward? Um, they switched me to Mike LaRocco, um, because he was going to be on the big bikes the next year. Yep. Um, and the main reason was I had so much experience with the 500. Um, and I, so when they yep. switched into the big bikes in '93, they wanted me to, to, uh, work with him on the big bikes.
1: Um, was this before his dad? Was this after his dad? Cause Af- after,
0: yeah, Roy yeah. really butt heads with, with senior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his, his dad was still heavily involved in it. I, I mean, we, I mean yeah. he was he was on the team, he was there every week. Um yeah. you know, he helped me work on the bikes. I mean we we were a team, you know, it wasn't just like I took over from his dad.
1: Right. I got
0: along really good with his parents, so Okay. Um yeah, we, we worked well together. It was just a little bit bigger team and I had a little mm-hmm. more experience on the, you know, five hundred, so right. kinda helped work it all out.
1: And Mike didn't talk much and, either. And he he
0: went out and ran and won the five hundred title that year too. Yeah, yeah, the final year of the class.
1: And, um Tom, you're a 500 specialist. That's what you are. You... I am. Yeah, actually, you... I still build those. I built quite a few of them. Oh, do you? Do you, do you ever yeah. put them in two-stroke frames or aluminum frames? Are people doing that? Um, do, you, do you ever work on any of those? No.
0: Pretty, everybody I've worked with still runs them in the original chassis, which I think is pretty good. It's actually mm-hmm. works quite well. Um, I, I think there have been people that have put them in the aluminum chassis. I've seen them, yeah. I, that's that's a little Kevin scary. had the opportunity to work with one of them.
1: It's a little scary to me, putting a motor that's not designed, you know, in a chassis, especially a two-stroke yeah, motor. Yeah,
0: so like a two-stroke has a little, you know, different power delivery and everything. I, I I don't know how it would work really in a chassis that's designed for you know with the four-stroke engine placement and everything. Mm-hmm. Not not yeah. sure how that would work.
1: Um, funny story from Jeff Emmick. He rode the five hundred and ninety-six at the Motocross of Nations. Uh, for Cowie, and they basically dusted off kradowski's bike and said, "Here you go. Here, here's yeah. here's here, here's one. Here, let's just blow the dust off. Uh, you should be good to go with this thing." Yeah. So
0: yeah.
1: Um, out of yeah, all the they motor- were
0: good bikes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Out of all the motocross the nations you did, is there one that stands out?
0: Um, the first one was probably the most interesting. You know, being the first time going to one of those races, and what year was that? Um, Eighty-seven.
1: Oh, that was New York. That was Unadilla.
0: Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that was that was probably the biggest deal. You know, the, the huge, huge turnout, spectator turnout and you know, the terrible conditions, you know, just right. a lot of rain and everything wow.
1: and You had um, to been sweating your balls off as a mechanic. You're like my whole country is looking at me and I gotta make sure my yeah.
0: bike make sure yeah. my bike lasts. Yeah, and, and plus we'd practice the day before the day before the race, or I don't know, maybe it was mm-hmm. Friday. But anyway, it, we practiced, and it was so muddy that I had to stay up all night and build a new bike for the race. Wow, really? Jeez. It was. It was. Yeah, it was torture.
1: Um, wow, yeah, that's crazy. Do you? Um, eighty-seven. What do you remember about Hannah? Actually, <laughs> is the story true? Hannah didn't want anything to do with you guys. He he had to ride on twenty-five, which he didn't want to do, and he went to another camp, and he he badmouthed Wardy and RJ. <laughs>
0: Was he, was he, mm, was that all true? I, I mean, um, I never, I never heard that. Okay. You know, I thought, I mean, the way I remember it, Bob was, 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 you know, part of the team and no okay. no problems, but I, I may just have not uh, yeah. noticed it, but you know, Bob, Bob's another character, but I always got along with him. Good. I think he's a great guy. He's probably one of the, again, one of the most, his writing style was so unique. He's, you know, a writer. I'll never forget watching him do uphills, with, you know, Room Tayoga and Doah, right. you know, with one leg hanging way up in the air and <laughs> <laughs> riding across up wheelie. Right, right. Um
1: uh you got to go to the White House, right? Meet Ronald right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was that's probably one of the biggest highlights of my life. How was that? Was that uh what did Hannah behave himself? Yeah. Uh okay. Yeah, I think everybody was well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm Canadian and so I'm, I don't I may not be exactly right on this although I've been living here for a long time but Hannah's a Republican. So yeah, Reagan was a Republican. So he would have liked he would have liked Reagan. Yeah, <laughs> because Bob yeah. just went he just spent a half hour with me on the phone uh railing against Obama the other day. So, yeah. He's he's <laughs> he's Republican. Um Yeah. But uh so that was cool. You met Ronald Reagan? Did he,
0: did he did he talk to him? I mean Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was really impressive to me, Reagan. Okay. Um, um, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was impressed because he was taller than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought he was shorter. Yep. And um, he he knew something about all of us as oh, he wow. came down the line and shook our hands. And he, he he didn't have cheat cheat notes unless they were hidden on the wall behind us or something. <laughs> but he he knew something about every single one of us. You know what our interests were, where we grew up, things like that. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he he knew all about the race we had done and how many years we had done it. And yeah, I mean, he knew everything. I was really impressed with the guy. Really friendly, you know, yeah, talked yeah. very well. This this became probably my favorite president ever. I guess because I met him, but he just was really a cool guy. Was
1: it uh, how long were you there for? Like, how was the whole ceremony,
0: or did you? I mean, was it an all day thing? Um, we're no, in the Minnesota Twins met met him on the same day. They were after us I think. I think we went in the morning. Okay. Um and we were probably in the Oval Office for half an hour or so. Oh sweet. Um and, yeah. and we had pictures taken with all of us, um, individually and as a group. Yep. Um, um we, we probably had to wait a little while. I think it was maybe half an hour to an hour outside the Oval Office in the hallway before we got to go in. Right. Um it was really cool because I had a little bit of political knowledge so that was when a casper weinberger's last days before he went out of office and he actually came walking down the hall and i recognized him oh. um and i must have funny grin on my face because he walked over to me and shook my hand Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool and everybody else was like who's that right, right. do you know him tom do you, are you are you in politics
1: <laughs> um yeah so oh, was, yeah was, that's kind of cool. yeah it was, it was a good experience yeah um one of my last races as a mechanic, uh, I was working for Tim Ferry and uh, at Southwick. He'd, he'd gotten a shitty start, and he's really fast there. He charged up from the back. He was like fourth place. It was a great ride for him. It was kind of rainy and shitty. and And with a lap and a half to go, his ignition cut out. We were using aftermarket ignition, and the ignition just died. And I think that might have been my worst DNF ever. You know what I mean? A heartbreaking DNF ever. Um, We had, we had, um, actually maybe this time he was in third at Hangtown, and one of the uh, bearing, one of the main bearing retainer head bolts snapped the head of the retainer. Yeah. yeah, That snapped off in a DNF. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is do you have one like that? Do you have a a DNF uh, that stands out as the worst one or something that maybe you made a mistake or, or whatever this is there one thing like you can remember about that?
0: Um fortunately we didn't have too many DNS. I think with Wardy um oh yeah this wouldn't this wasn't anything I did but yeah probably yeah. the worst worst one was um at uh um Redbud National mm-hmm. and it would have been what would it have been 88 maybe okay 87 well, maybe it was 87 um the uh we had it was the first first 500 race of the series and uh we'd just been working like crazy testing the bikes getting them you know ready to go mm-hmm. and um it was in practice and um you know what they call a Rocco's leap these days yeah. i don't think they called it that back then but um i could see Wardy jump it and in the air he jumped off the bike and the bike did cartwheels, you know three three stories up or whatever he is and what had happened was um we had been sent some new crankshafts yep and what we didn't know was the shafts were hollow to make them lighter yeah and we'd never tested them and i had gone ahead and put the new crankshaft in like the day before the race right and the crankshaft broke in half locked the engine up on the jump so that was that was probably a a rough DNF there because it. I mean, Wardy got hurt and the bike was completely destroyed. <laughs> right, had to right. cut the front, cut the front axle with a cutoff wheel to get the forks apart.
1: Oh come on, really?
0: Wow. Yeah, it was bent. It was bent so bad you couldn't you couldn't get it apart. Yeah, I think the only thing we salvaged on the bike was, uh, <laughs> I think the rear wheel and a swing arm or something. I don't remember now. It's pretty uh, bad. <laughs>
1: wow, and. uh yeah, of course, on the absolute worst part. But I guess you're wide open and you're under torque, and that's when it's going to break, right?
0: Um, yeah. Right. You
1: know, the worst part of the track for it to break on. Um, yeah, so that, that's one that stands out for you then?
0: Yeah, that was probably the worst one. I mean, it wasn't really my fault. But no. in a way, if I have just let, ran the old crank, it probably yeah. would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's, that's, that's the way it is for sure.
1: Um, so, LaRocco 93, w- w- when do you leave Cali, or when do you stop being a factory race team mechanic? Um, I quit at the end of '93. No, Did you? The end
0: of the '93 season. Yeah, so I could do my own business.
1: Just had enough. Like, was the grind getting to you, or just like the financial? Yeah, just
0: yeah. yeah just too much traveling. Right, right. Just, uh, you,
1: you, I mean, at that point, you'd won everything too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, you know, you were kind yeah. of the pinnacle of uh, of your deal. So, um, mm-hmm. so then start start, and then that's it. And soon after that, led to Ryan Huffman's KX250 that barked.
0: Yep. Yeah. Then I started. <laughs> Started my own business
1: and All right. Um, well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for this trip down memory lane. I, I appreciate it. Um, hopefully, I didn't uh, bore you too much with the questions.
0: Oh no, no, I, oh. I enjoy talking about it. Got a lot of lot of stories to
1: tell. Oh, I know, no doubt. Uh, MorganRacingEngines.com. dot uh, com. Tom Morgan, he'll do you up two stroke, four stroke. If you got a KX five hundred, this is the man to call. <laughs> there's no doubt you can get a yeah. KX500 probably running. You have 3 500 titles on your resume. Um yeah, uh, and four strokes, yeah, you did road racing stuff. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you've uh you've done it all. So if anybody's listening and needs some motor work and wants to talk to uh one of the greats is ter- in terms of uh, factory mechanics, uh definitely ta- Morganracingengines.com. Go there, right? Yeah, well, Uh, thanks a lot, Steve. I appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for doing the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX. Tom Morgan, the great Tom Morgan, uh, congratulations on uh, all the success you've had in your career. And, uh, yeah, thanks again for the stories. Really appreciate it. Okay, you're
0: welcome, Steve. All right, thanks, thanks, you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Steve Mathis Show search pulp mx in the itunes store to find the more than 200 episode archive or get the pulp mx app for your iphone for the complete pulp mx fix